Episode 56. Light snow and windy makes the swans the same color of the waves, cattails whipping the walkers past. Hey man, greetings and welcome in all you dudes and mamas and mama dudes and dude mamas. Welcome to a really groovy edition of the Patuxet General. Today, we're going to dig on some cool 1970s notes, a recipe for a fabulous tequila sunrise, and the fantastic fruity Watergate salad, an intense update on French meat pie, controversial poems about war, and some campfire scary folktales all coming right at you, man, thanks to my groovy cousins who inspired me to reach back and walk you guys through the 70s, Patuxent Village style. So shout out to Dan, Dale, Dory, Diane, Kathy, Mark, Jen, John, Josh, Jeremy, Drew, Jen, Heather, and Katie. This is for you. But first, let's dig our Patreon subscribers. These far-out folks are so out of sight it blows my mind. These cats are literally so mellow. They are the disco ball, neon lights, roller skates, and kind hookup that is the Patuxet General, without whom we would merely be turkeys. So thank you. Let's go with the flow and check out the Watergate salad. I got this information from NPR.org, where they answer the question, so where did the name come from? Before the Watergate salad, there was the Watergate cake, a similarly green-hued dessert made from pistachio pudding in the mix and sometimes in the icing. The first recipe for Watergate cake that we could find apart from a newspaper headline that stretched a metaphor beyond common decency, was from Hagerstown, Maryland, in September 1974, a month after Nixon resigned. The Hagerstown Daily Mail declared the cake the newest thing on political and not-so-political menus. It credits the dish to Christine Hatcher, who says she got the recipe from a friend who got it from a friend. The Watergate salad likely took on its name because it was so similar to the cake. As for where the cake got the name, the Daily Mail article offers a clue. Hatcher suggests it is called Watergate because of all the nuts that are in it. In later printings of this recipe, people joked that the cake earned the name because it, too, had a cover-up. The name came out of the people who ate it, Benjamin says. People were having fun at the height of a national scandal. Newspaper columnists and late-night hosts made jabs at the Nixon administration. So why couldn't a home cook? It could have been a Democratic partisan who wanted to make sure the Watergate name lived on because the Republicans were so very intent on turning the page. The cake and the salad were hits, and not just in Washington. Recipes were printed around the country. My mom says the salad was a staple of parties where she lived in Missouri in the 1970s. Rodota says a 1975 shortage of pre-Jello brand pistachio pudding in Washington was blamed on the combination of bad pistachio crop and a huge number of home cooks making Watergate cake. Whether or not the dessert's moniker was a partisan ploy, the word Watergate continues to echo through politics. Practically every new political scandal gets the suffix gate. Nixon's former White House counsel, John Dean, still makes appearances on cable news and in Congress. But while you can find references to Watergate in the news, if you stop by a potluck in Northern Virginia or a downtown D.C. deli, you'll likely not see a Watergate salad. We did find one at a market in Bethesda, Maryland, 
Maryland, a D.C. suburb, but it was a chicken salad. The manager didn't know the origin of the name, but said they sell about 50 pounds of it a week. Watergate salad. For this recipe, you will need one box pistachio instant pudding, one and a half cups cold milk, one and a half cups miniature marshmallows, one number two can crushed pineapple, drained well, one nine ounce box cool whip, one half cup chopped nuts. Add the milk to the pistachio pudding and beat until thick. Then add the rest of the ingredients, mix together and spread in a seven by 12 inch pan. And there you have a Watergate salad. A poem by Ken Lyon from the Hydra. Oliver is gone, followed by echoes of melting, sliding, and searching for no end to suffering, lest he cease to create disbelief and feel deeply that he is like us, one of the least of things. No head for level time or idle talk, but the palmate leaves of angel wings his lot to suck the fire of hell into his breaking heart, to lose his heart to better things. Unwillingness to part with times that are and always shall be near and not far from the sticky singe of Mary's kiss and she'll not let him down. But Oliver is gone, cursing tempest God and man, lifting hungry, trembling hand to me as we passed. But my way was woven in a peaceful light and I could not help him in his fight against shadows of fear. But I loved him. This just in. While I was searching through my Graham's 1970s gems, I found her Christmas meat pie recipe, and it had a few differences that I thought I might share. Right off the bat, the crust calls for two cups of flour, one half teaspoon salt, one half cup butter, one quarter cup lard, one egg, and cold milk. The preparation is the same, but as you can see, the ingredients differ greatly. The same goes for the filling. It calls for one pound pork, one pound veal, one quarter pound salt pork, one clove garlic, one quarter cup onion, two cups applesauce, one quarter teaspoon celery seed, ground cloves, salt and pepper to taste. You will notice that there is no nutmeg in this recipe and the interesting addition of applesauce and salt pork. Try it at home and let me know what you think. Not to mention, enjoy. Today's drink is a tequila sunrise. My information comes from talesofthecocktail.org. The tequila sunrise was actually invented at Agua Caliente, a huge Prohibition-era resort in Tijuana, explains Dave Wondrich, spirits historian and author of the bestsellers Punch and Imbibe. It was a place where people from Southern California would go to drink, gamble, bet on the horses. It had a track, a hotel, a casino. Wondrich describes the original drink as a tequila daisy with the addition of a little bit of creme de cassis. It's worth noting that Arizona's Biltmore Bar also claims to be the original creator of the drink around the same time period. Fast forward to the 1960s, where the joint called the Trident Bar was slinging drinks to the rock and roll jet set outside of San Francisco in Sausalito. Coincidentally, the modern-day owners of the Trident also operate the Buena Vista Cafe, where the Irish coffee was first popularized in the U.S. At the Trident, Wondrich explains, little heed was paid for the precision of a given recipe. They kind of did their own thing, he said. Their version of the tequila sunrise, which is what most of us know today, nixed the cassis and kept the grenadine. 
perhaps more significantly, it was also fed to rock stars. The Rolling Stones came in one day in 1972, and they made that drink for Mick Jagger. Bobby Loshoff is the bartender credited with the first serving of the drink to the Stones' lead vocalist. Mick Jagger liked it, so they took it on tour with them in their famous 1972 tour that basically broke America. The tour, which followed the release of Exile on Main Street, was and still is legendary for its debauchery, rowdiness, and violence. A rigmarole of arrests, tear gas, riots, counterfeit tickets, more riots, onstage pie fights, nights at the Playboy Mansion, jail, bail, and tequila-stocked limousines. That following year, after the tequila sunrise fueled one of the most riotous rock and roll tours in American history, it graced the lyrics of the Eagles' 1973 hit single. And for the next decade or so, it would be a drinking fixture at nightclubs, dive bars, and suburban dinner parties alike. From there, the Tequila Sunrise took its rightful place among the Rusty Nails screwdrivers and their kin, the cocktails that defined an era, for better or worse. Worse, most likely, some would argue that the 70s and 80s very nearly destroyed cocktail culture in America. Of course, many a great bartender looks to history for inspiration, and in recent years, this very class of drinks is being resurrected anew at bars around the country. Now, the original recipe had tequila, cream de cassis, a squeeze of lime juice, and soda water. However, if you order it, most bars today, you will get an ounce of tequila, four ounces of orange juice, and grenadine. The original recipe, you shake the tequila, cream de cassis, and lime juice, and then put it in an iced glass and top with soda water. In the modern version, of course, you take an ounce of tequila, four ounces of orange juice, and you shake them well, pour them into a chilled glass, and gently drip the grenadine down the side of the glass. Either way, try a tequila sunrise while you listen to the next spooky story. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. And now, another reading of Supernatural Folklore of Rhode Island by Edola Jean Borghese, 1956. The second tale tells of a wicked sea captain who went down with his ship offshore near Second Beach, Newport. He swore a mighty oath and cursed the briny deep, and for his punishment he was doomed to serve the sea as a fearful ogre beneath the waves. The ogre would reach out and grab people and either pull them beneath the water or hold them until the sea beats them to pieces. The ogre's appetite was never satisfied, as he constantly reached for additional victims. (laughs) Further up the island roams another ghost as a result of a storm at sea in which a ship is lost. A maiden who lost her lover on that ship haunts the beach between purgatory and paradise. Sometimes, in her despair, she would lose herself in the rocky abyss of purgatory, but her youth and beauty could not be buried in such murky depths, and she always floated forth again in search of her lover. 
She found a home on Paradise Rocks, where she could look out on the sea and sing to the spirit of her beloved coming toward her over the waves. He never reaches her, but it is paradise to her, because he is ever coming. The local tribes had a legend about the siren of Narragansett Bay. There lived, many summers ago, a set of giants on the island of Narragansett, who were of great power and strength. Among these giants, one was called Moshup, who had a reputation of being very cruel when in anger. This report was corroborated by the following anecdote. One day, while in his lodge, something occurred to enrage Moshup at which he caught up his wife, who stood nearby, and hurled her through the air. She dropped upon Sakonic Point, but, singular to relate, survived the fall, and for many years was heard singing low, melancholy songs, while she sat alone overlooking the bay. She was dropped upon Sakonic Point, but, singular to relate, survived the fall, and for many years was heard singing low, melancholy songs, while she sat alone overlooking the bay. These songs were so sweet and seductive that many a fisherman moored his canoe and sought the singer, when he always obliged to pay her tribute. Many moons passed, and the siren sat upon the shore singing her songs, and finally, one morning it was noticed that her song had ceased. Great curiosity was felt among the people. One, who had been very much enamored with her, went to the place where she usually was found. Alas, she had been transformed into a rock. Although the sirens, ogres, ghost ships, dancing mortars, and all the other supernatural phenomena of Rhode Island waters have disappeared, legends remain to excite the modern generation. Thank you for joining us once again at the Patuxent General. If you would like to reach out with a question, a recipe suggestion, information about our pop-up general store, or dare I say a local ghost story, our email is jess at patuxetgeneral.com. We can't wait to hear from you, but until then, I'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxet General. A Something for Posterity production. Pre-recorded in Patuxet. <laughs>